Hi, my name is Dr. Julie Vajik-Smith and I'm widely known as one of key Australian-based influencers when it comes to promoting elder wellbeing. I'm lucky to have a mix of skills, clinical experience in treating common mental health conditions in late life, research skills, my doctorate examined wellbeing in home care workers, and in my postdoc, I researched on decision-making in dementia. I'm well-connected with both professional and research teams here in Australia and abroad. You are listening to a special six-episode edition of my podcast, Voice of Aged Care, where we tackle some of the key challenges that arise in the aged care workforce. These include dealing with change, worker resilience, stress and burnout, boosting productivity, engagement and coping strategies. I simply know that we are all here to do our best and to be our best. So let's look at the factors that can influence how we think feel and act, and impact our sense of connection and well-being at work. Thank you for joining me. Hey, it's Julie. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Voice of Age Care. This is the episode three in the special edition, looking at factors uh, with the workforce and what can um, we do and help to support one another. Now, burnout. This episode is looking at the impact of burnout on you and the workplace. And, you know, burnout, unfortunately, is not something that is very foreign to those of us who work in in aged care and, you know, um, both home care settings and, and residential care. So what I wanted to do in this episode is really separate the difference between what is stress and what is burnout and looking at this concept called the amygdala hijack. I want to explain it to you guys just so that we can know a little bit more what what happens with our brains when we're under a lot of stress. I'll talk to you a bit about the common thinking traps that we can experience when it comes to our stress and I'll also give you some strategies for seeking support with burnout. Now, a very famous quote that I heard and I use a lot when I run workshops and in my writings as well is this one. It's quite simple, but it's so profound. So just because you take breaks doesn't mean you are broken. And it's so true. I think that there's this assumption that, you know, we have to work, work, work till we, um, you know, are completely burning out. And that's not the case. We need breaks to feel rejuvenated, refreshed so that we can come back and do more. And, and give the best of ourselves without it taking a toll on our physical, emotional well-being. Another quote that I've posted on my um, Facebook business page, and, and I, you know, I see that this is one that you guys really um, like a lot, is the bit about you don't have to see the whole staircase, you just need to take the first step. And that could be so true and can be applied to so many different settings. So we can think about that from the point of view of, oh, yes, um, I, I know what I need to do to, to get started on something completely new. Or it could also be something that, you know, could be a first sign or strategy if we are feeling overwhelmed that, you know, there's help out there and support and and. It can be quite tricky for people to know when when is it that they need help and support. It might be easier if you have a backache and you can't, you know, as easily jump out of bed going, oh, 
maybe I need to take some Voltaren or maybe I need to go and see a physio. Maybe I need to get an x-ray or maybe I need to go for a swim in the ocean. So when it comes to our mental health, it, it can get a little bit trickier in the sense that we can't really see that things are different and that we are stressed and we can't measure it. And so you, we might have these micro moments where we feel, oh, everything's fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm, I'm 100% fine. And then, you know, half an hour later, I feel like completely burnt out. So we don't want to get to that stage. We want to look at what are the preventative strategies or what are the early uh, support strategies that we need to help us bounce back and minimize the risk of experiencing burnout. So when we look at uh, what what is stress, um, stress is a good thing. We all can experience a little bit of stress when we are uh, doing something to keep us motivated, keep us on track, help to keep us uh, accountable. You know, if we have a bit of stress crossing a busy road, that's really good. It will keep us alive. Uh, we want to protect ourselves and our well-being. So stress is not necessarily a good, uh, bad thing that happens to us. Um, it, it is a good good uh, strategy to help us propel us into action, get us to achieve more. Um, you know, when I record these podcasts, I always have a bit of stress going, oh my God, will I sound okay for these episodes? Will I get the message across of what I want to do? And I actually find it's, it's quite motivating, even though, you know, I do take a little bit of notes ahead. Um, I'm certainly not reading this word for word, um, what I have. I've just got a couple of bullet points of what I want to talk about. But if I just turned up unprepared and not stressed, you probably would have lost you guys um, way, way, way before. So I think that a bit of exam stress or speech anxiety or performance anxiety is okay, but we don't want to get to a stage where it feels like it is so much and that it is, becomes so overwhelming. And so in this episode, I really wanted to talk to you a bit about you know stress being a good thing in small quantities, but if we feel that we have high levels of stress and that it's our every day is you know the same it is then more likely that we possibly have uh, that we are possibly experiencing burnout and so with burnout we might feel that lack of control lack of clarity about what's expected of us we might be experiencing conflict with others uh, maybe we feel like we don't have enough support or we might be really struggling with that work or life balance. And I know that for a lot of people, the work-life balance can be quite blurry. And a lot of people find themselves when they're at home still worried and thinking about work a lot. Or maybe, um, you know, their work takes too much of their time and energy that they have nothing left for family and friends and they're cancelling gatherings with friends. They're missing out on having family dinners at home. Um, and so that lack of balance can really lead to uh, experiencing burnout and dissatisfaction. And so whereas stress is about having too much to do, too much on our plate, burnout can really make us feel flat. It can really make us feel like there's just not enough, that we, we just we don't have enough. Um, not, not, not enough stress, but we just don't have enough energy. We can't see light at the end of the tunnel. It can really be a bit too much that's going on. The risk factors that people find when they're experiencing burnout or the increased risk of experiencing burnout is having a very heavy workload 
or working very long hours, struggling with work-life balance, um, working in, in a helping profession. So if you work in home care or residential care, it can be a little bit more demanding because you, you have to be fully there in your work. You can't hide in a corner and not talk to your clients and not talk to workmates. You, you have to be present in every shape and form. So the risk is there because of that high level of performance, of vigilance, of being present that is required of you day in and out. It's not, you know, like, oh, I'll just go and sit in the corner, eat a bag of chips. You can't really do that. And the other big risk factor for burnout is having uh, the feeling of having little or no control over work. And I know that mm, this is something that we've spoken about in another episode of this special series is about, you know, dealing with change and, and coping with control and what is within our control and what is not without our control. So when we feel stressed, when we feel highly stressed, and when we are at risk of experiencing a burnout, there are changes that happen within our brains. And so we've got something called the prefrontal cortex, which is our executive system, which becomes deactivated. So the the front part of our brain that is used for reasoning, that is used for problem solving, it stops working as well as it does when we're in a calm state. And instead what happens is that our limbic system, our fight or flight or freeze response activates. So we go from suddenly being these cool, calm, collected cucumbers to overactive, over re- overreactive, over-responsive um, beings that become bit more harder to rationalize with and they can become highly sensitive, highly reactive um, and it's not through our fault, it's through what, what is going on with, with, with the changes in our brain. And so when you are highly stressed, you, your, your body um, sends a message to your brain saying there's a real threat, there's something that's going on and it's dangerous. It doesn't matter about the actual threat how big it is, if the message is sent to your brain that, you know, look, uh, I feel as scared as if I'm, you know, facing a, uh, a tiger in a cage, your body automatically responds to that perception of threat. It's not about the real threat. It's what your body perceives to be a big threat. And look, I know I've used the silly analogy um, and it's highly unlikely that you're going to be in a cage with uh, a tiger or a lion or, you know, in a cage in the ocean swimming with sharks. Um, but the, the message is there for you. It could be something that, you know, perhaps for others, it could be very small, like say you, you've had a conflict with a workmate and you don't want to go back to work because you don't want to deal with that person anymore. Um, and you don't want to work with them in a team. And so you, the thought of you coming back to the office and dealing with that is very stressful. And you just think, you know, like, oh no, I I can't possibly do that. And so for others would be like, well, you know, is it realistic? Is it appropriate to compare your colleague to uh, a wild creature and, you know, for the perception of you working alongside each other being like you are in a, in a cage? Um, no, and I know that, you know, this is probably making some of you laugh, but this is the, the, the reality of dealing with those emotions and dealing with those psychological perceptions of what is causing us stress. 
in what we're dealing with. So, look, I've covered the, the prefrontal cortex, your executive system, which is deactivated. It's shut down because you're, you've sent the message to your brain that there's a real threat that you're facing and, and, and how we can overcome it. And so the limbic system is activated and, and, and the fight or flight response. And so what then happens with your amygdala, the amygdala hijack, is that the amygdala is activated in that fight or flight response, but there's no real serious threat to your safety. And so during the amygdala hijack, the person may not be able to develop a rational response because the amygdala has been activated thinking, oh, wow, you know, this is life or death. This is so serious. This is so overwhelming. And so it it is about looking at you know, this is an emotional response that is immediate. It's overwhelming and out of measure with the actual stimulus because it has triggered a much more significant emotional threat within you. So you might feel shaky, you might feel overwhelmed, you might feel teary. And then it's like, well, the threat is not actually that big, but in your mind, it is huge. And so you might experience shallow breathing, you know, experiencing um even weakness in your legs and, you know, you know, you just might be having conversations over and over again and really feel like, oh, my God, I, I can't control what is going on. And so the amygdala hijack is a coin that was turned by Daniel Goleman back in 1996. And he wrote a book, maybe some of you have read it, about emotional intelligence, why it can matter more than your IQ. And this book and the term around amygdala hijack has been used widely by neuroscientists, clinicians, and is considered a formal academic term. So it, it, you know, I, I know that many of my listeners are not mental health professionals and they might not fully um, have that background in, in, in mental health and well-being. But I wanted to explain to you this just to get into context rather than talking, oh, you know, stress or burnout or, you know, feeling overwhelmed, anxiety, depression – I think it's really helpful to actually talk about what changes actually go on in our brain and and in order for you to address it, to know exactly what is going on and how can we actually respond to it. What do we need to do to activate it, you know, like to deactivate it? And so we need to identify what it is for you, what it is for someone else, what it is for me what it is for, you know, your brother, your sister, your your workmate, your manager that activates those things. So how do we know if we have stress or burnout? Well, it's not just about how we feel. You, we might actually start to experience any one of the following categories that might indicate that, you know, these are your stress and your early warning signs. So there are grouped broadly into four categories, psychological symptoms, physical symptoms, emotional symptoms, and as well as behavioral. So maybe psychologically, we might start having some flashbacks or some, you know, stressful moments, nightmares, uh, confusion and difficulty making decisions. We might actually, in fact, feel indecisive. It's just really hard to make decisions for us. Lacking motivation. It's like, hey, do you want to go to movies tomorrow night? Mm, no, not really. What are you going to do instead? Mm, nothing. We might get to a stage where we actually avoid our friends, um, you know, not responding to messages and, and feel like, oh, you know, I don't want to come up with another excuse. So I'm just, you know, going to 
write back later, so I'm too tired with work. We can start to have distorted thinking. So thinking a little bit differently, maybe becoming a little bit more paranoid or becoming a little bit more hypervigilant about things. We can start taking things personally, even though it might not be intended to be personal. And always assuming the worst case scenario, oh, you know, I'm going to get sacked or I'm going to get in trouble or, you know, I'm going to lose my job and jumping to conclusions without clear evidence. The physical symptoms that tell us that we are experiencing stress and early warning signs could be that we we have a very shallow heart rate. And I'd encourage you even now just to take a minute and notice your breathing and notice your heart rate. And are you breathing from your chest or from your diaphragm right to the bottom of your tummy? And I think that that's like a very simple way that you can measure like when you feel stressed in the moment, just to take a few minutes, take a few deep breaths. But before you do that, actually really focus on the breath that you have at that particular moment. Is it very shallow? It is quite, is it quite fast? Or is it slow? And is that, you know, well regulated? We can also experience um, sweating when we feel under a lot of stress. We, st- we can start feel, feeling shakes and, and, and trembling. Um, we might have some problems with our tummies, with gastrointestinal issues, breathing difficulties, muscle soreness, muscle tension, sleep disturbances, so difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, waking up early, being tired throughout the day. And we might have aches and pains, such as headache. Emotionally, we might experience irritability, um, we might feel numb, we can, we can feel anxiety, we can feel irritated with others, we might you know, be more easy to cry, feel tearful, uh, feel sadness, um, or we can also you know, be in this state of shock. And so when you think about those psychological, physical and emotional symptoms, it can lead to different behaviours as well. So we might be withdrawing from others, uh, we might, you know, start eating a lot more or not eating, skipping meals. We might um, have increased reactivity, how we respond to things, feel like we are triggered a lot more, and increased level of uh, escapist behavior. So, you know, relying on alcohol and drugs, or we we can start making more mistakes as well. So these are some of the things that just, you, you know, it's helpful to be mindful of what might be going on for us and how we can actually... Um, be able to identify that, hey, this is actually telling me this is actually not 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 okay. And so the the risk of you experiencing burnout is 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 a lot higher if you allow those symptoms to to continue without changing anything or getting any additional help and support to assist you at that point of time. And so it's really um, important to identify what it is and how we can uh, address it and how we can minimize the risk of the amygdala, you know, hijack from happening. All right, I'm going to have a quick break and then I'll be back and I'll talk to you a little bit about some common thinking traps and also how we can um, look at ways of getting support for burnout. Hey there, Julie here. And you are listening to a special edition of my podcast, Voice of Age Care. In this six-episode edition, we are exploring key challenges that arise for the aged care workforce. We're talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
In recent years, we've seen workplace wellness and employee wellbeing move up the priority lists. We are way more aware of the importance of worker wellbeing, both at work and personally. And this was the key research topic for my doctorate. Now, if this topic resonates with you and you want to learn more on how I may be able to support you and your team, let's connect. Please visit my website, wisecare.com.au forward slash resilience and fill in the details and my team will be in touch with you. That is wisecare.com.au forward slash resilience. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, I'm back from my little break. I am going to talk to you a little bit about common thinking traps and seeking support for burnout. We've spoken in this episode about how we go from thriving and identifying maybe we need a bit of help or not being okay to actually really needing extra support. And it's not a black or white decision-making, good or bad. It's just we're all on a continuum and we all go through different challenges in our lives and we all have different levels of resilience. But just knowing what what might be the signs of uh, burnout in us and how we can identify you know, strategies to use and, 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 and cope better can really make uh, a world of difference for those impacted by stress and burnout. And look, you know, I, I've been there, I've experienced burnout, and I'm sure many of you have over the time as well. So looking at how can we bounce back from it? How can we build that resilience to help us feel less overwhelmed? So important. So what I want to talk about now is um, some of the common uh, thinking traps that we might fall into when we are experiencing burnout. And this is really important also because it can uh, affect us in our workplace as well. So sometimes it could be about personalization, like we can jump to conclusions that, you know, something is got to do with us and can result in us having very negative self-talk and self-criticism. Um, so it can result in us experiencing, you know, painful emotions, shame, guilt, that, you know, this is really, you know, something's happened because of the result of our fault. Uh, we can also feel like we're mind reading, so guessing what someone else is thinking when they may not be thinking that. We can start doing fortune telling, so predicting the future, becoming, um, you know, the expert. We assume that some event or event will uh, end badly for us or that we'll fail at it. Uh, we could be blaming. So instead of blaming yourself for something that happened, consider, you know, looking at how we can do things differently um, rather than taking it to um, to heart. We can be discounting the positive. Um, so we might be ignoring or invalidating good things that happen or that have happened to us. Uh, we can also be magnifying, so catastrophizing. And so we ignore everything good and then just focus and magnify the issue and, and become obsessed with that as well. We can be filtering information, so draining and straining all positives in a situation and instead dwelling on it and the negatives. And so when we are experiencing burnout, not only does it affect us and our well-being, it, it, it can affect those around us and our interaction and ability to focus and, and, and interact with others. So what we need to look at is what do we do um, 
at times like this, what do we actually strive to to achieve? And um, what we really want to do is to be able to I- identify uh, a model that is called Care Plus and, and go through that, you know, in a step-by-step process. So what we want to do at is look at how we can change in that behaviour, how we can ask and actively listen, how we can refer to support, how we can encourage action and follow up as well. So if we notice a change in, in someone's behaviour, asking that person or, you know, looking at ourselves and having that, you know, self-reflection, are we actually okay? Uh, do we do we need to turn somewhere for more help? Um maybe speaking to the line manager or external support or to, you know, a counsellor, encouraging the, the the person to take the action. So it could be about you identifying that, you know, you need to stay connected with um, with your colleagues um, and, uh, you know, as you progress through the journey not feel burnt out and withdrawn and isolated altogether by yourself and finally keeping in touch um, so keep in touch with your colleagues. Um, it's really, really important to follow up as well and notice what is going on. I know that a lot of research has been looking at burnout um, and we know that employees who are burnt out much or all of the time don't bring their best to work. So research has shown that up to 63% of those who experience burnout um are likely to not show up at all um, and they're twice as likely to be looking elsewhere for job. So we need to look at how we can flip that around. How can we ensure that the employees are recognised and knowing that they are important and, and respected? And it's not one person's job. I don't think that it's just about one person being able to identify you know, what's going on within themselves and seek support. It is a whole team approach. And we know that employees who receive the right recognition at work are often up to 50% or more less likely to report being burnt out always or very often. So this episode really looks at or looked at um, what is going on with stress, what happens if we have high levels of stress, um, how do we minimize the risk of being burnt, burnt out? Um, I'm sure you as a listener um, know someone or maybe yourself where at some stage you did experience uh, burnout. And it's so important that, you know, if you do notice those signs and symptoms in yourself or someone else, that action is taken. There's nothing worse than feeling alone in the journey and feeling that no one cares or is there to support you. So if we look at the impact that it has not only individual and the likelihood of them perhaps not sustaining the employment, not being able to continue working in their role or looking for jobs elsewhere, it can also translate into the care that we give to our clients and how we best support them. Because if we are you know, in front of a client and we feel very, very stressed out um, or overwhelmed, um, it can certainly you know, translate into them perhaps misinterpreting our engagement with them and they might think that you know something's possibly you know, that they've done something wrong, that something's not okay, and it can impact and influence their um, their engagement 
with us as well. So being mindful of what might be going on for you, looking at what is it? Do I need to take a day off? Do I need to pick up a hobby? Do I need to speak to manager about my workload and my priorities? Addressing it from multiple places can really help to build that resilience and help us um, improve our productivity, improve our um, job satisfaction, and ultimately improve our quality of life. Thanks for listening to this episode. You take care. Well, that is another episode of The Voice of Aged Care done and dusted. Make sure you don't miss out when I release another episode by becoming a subscriber on your app of choice. And if you can, please leave a review too. I'd love to know what you think of the podcast and what you'd like to hear in the future. Now, the next thing you need to do is go straight over to wisecare.com.au forward slash resources and check out my latest resources you can download for free. It could be a book chapter, 20 strategies to boost engagement with elders, or my most popular resource, Five Facts About Me worksheet. You'll be sure to find them all there, wisecare.com.au forward slash resources. I'll see you at the next episode. Thank you.